Hey everyone, welcome to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I'm your host, Meg Ricci, and this podcast series is about demystifying women's hormonal issues and struggles and the many things that dance in between. So I'd first like to start off by expressing a very warm, heartfelt, happy new year to all. I'm super excited about 2024. I feel there's incredible potential here, brightness and new beginnings in this coming year. And I feel like we're entering a time of a a reboot, a reset, transformation, new beginnings, a year that is filled with incredible potential. I really mean that. And I feel part of that is due to the fact that, you know, I experience this as coming out of a three-year period of which I refer to as the post-COVID drag. So there are events and things that are globally uh, that require a lot of our attention, but it's so important for us not to lose sight of ourselves and self-care and making ourselves also a priority so we can show up for others in the world. So again, very, very happy new year. Super excited to have everyone here. And if you are new to this podcast, I want to welcome you today. And please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And if you like what you hear, I so appreciate those great reviews because it brings other women to this podcast. And my commitment to women always, I want to help you demystify the stuff in your life that doesn't make sense and all the junk that we hear um, from Dr. Google and give you a little more clarity on what you can apply to your life and information that is based on research and science and a lot of clinical experience. Also, if you would like to work with me and take a deeper dive into your issues and challenges, great time of year to do that. You can reach out to me, megrichichi.com. All my contact information is there. And uh, let's set up a discovery call and see if we're a good fit for one another. So I'm looking at this coming year for myself as taking an opportunity to allow myself to take things off my plate that no longer serve me. And I am shifting my gears to create and embrace a deeper connection with myself and with others. And what has happened for me in the past, I would say since late fall, is that after the passing of my brother in August, I kind of hit a pause button in my life to take a look at the things that were working and not working and getting really honest with myself about letting go of situations and people and projects and also self-expectations and giving myself permission to release without holding on to regret and living with an open heart and not judging myself for things that did and did not work for me in my life. And I think we can be our own worst critic. But what came out of this is that I realized how much I missed doing acupuncture. I took a break from it for a couple of years. When I moved to Atlanta, I actually thought I was going to retire from doing acupuncture. And I just felt that I wanted to create a deeper connection with people. So I still have my virtual practice, but I started seeing individuals for acupuncture here in Atlanta and it just warms my heart. And I just feel like having that connection one-on-one with people in a room is just so exciting, so inviting. And I feel that I am more on purpose when I'm doing this and excited to actually share that because today's episode is about connection. And today's episode is about intimacy. 
And I look at every new year as, you know, so many of us are looking to set up new lifestyle habits and we have new goals. And many people this year have decided to lean into a new dry January, which for some people has led to really reassessing and looking at their way they're connecting with alcohol and connecting with other people. I feel that this is a time that many of us are trying to deepen a connection with friends, but also deepen a connection with our partners. And because a lot of people have said to me, you know, Meg, my relationship is starting to feel stale. And I believe authentic communication is what makes the world go round inside and outside the bedroom. And today's episode is about communication. And it's about creating connection and reconnection. And episode 49 today is, am I normal? What is sexual intimacy? So I have an amazing guest, and her name is Sierra Coleman, and she is an incredible family and couples counselor or therapist and sex therapist. And we're going to take a deep dive and take a look at what's going on in the world of intimacy for people. What's going on in the bedroom? What really defines what is intimacy? What are the parameters for that? As many as 40 million Americans in romantic relationships are not having sex. And at least 50% of my clients are struggling along that spectrum of low libido, low sex drive. Many are struggling with reconnecting in the bedroom. So there are an array of factors that can be influencing our libido, our sex drive, and what's going on in the bedroom. We're going to discuss all that and unpack it. But I am really delighted to have my colleague here, Sierra Coleman. She practices at the Haven Center for Therapy in Rockville, Maryland. She is a virtual practitioner. And I love that she helps you decode or helps women and men decode their relationship with themselves and one another. So, Sierra, I am so looking forward to today's conversation. Thank you for being here. And I really do believe that I know that a lot of our listeners are going to feel very hopeful and very positive and excited about what you have to share on the podcast. So, hi. Hi. Thank you so much for that. was a beautiful introduction. I am very, very happy to be here. Like Meg said, I'm a licensed graduate marriage and family therapist, and I'm a certified sexologist. I specialize working with couples and individuals, especially women, around uh, sexual issues. So, you know, Meg and I had got together before this little and kind of were discussing, you know, what are the main themes we want to talk about? And we actually like had a whole basically podcast conversation already about what we wanted to talk about. And the theme in it was like this question that keeps coming up for so many people, am I normal? And it Mm -hmm. is a question I hear a lot in my practice. And like, I'm like, what is normal? Right. And, and kind of understanding that normal, there is no normal. There is what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And I think that's a really important factor to distinguish when, when you're asking yourself those questions and taking the time and, you know, in the practice that I have working with individuals and and especially females, it is kind of dissecting, like, what is this normal that you're measuring yourself up against? And why are you measuring yourself up against it? And how does that serve you? Right? So it's really interesting being able to kind of dissect the narratives that are going on in the world through, you know, social norms, society, the way that we're grown up and the narratives that kind of color the way we see ourselves. So what are the big challenges that you see? What are the common issues 
that you're seeing with individuals that come to see, and you said particularly women? So it's honestly like, just as you said before, that you're seeing with your clients, it's low libido or a big difference in libido. You know, I'm seeing a lot of women who think that there's something wrong with them because they don't want to have sex with their partners anymore, or they're not feeling desire. And they have this narrative that like, I feel like everyone's having sex every single day and I'm not having sex with my partner and I don't even want to have sex with my partner. And you know, what's wrong with me? How do you unpack that with someone? That's the big question because it's really common. What I see, and I always ask people, is what's on my intake forms in in a few different places, because I sometimes people will not check that box or go into detail. And I want to figure out, is this something due to the fact, and we talked about this, is there a lot of stress? The birth control pill can contribute to low libido. Having been sick or having a surgery just having a baby. There are a lot Mm -hmm. of reasons why people are having challenged with desire. I mean, that's how I look at it. Where is the desire and how do we recapture that desire and bring it back in our world and not make ourselves wrong or freak out? It's like, holy shit, I don't feel like having sex with my significant other. He or she may be feeling more like a friend than a sexual partner. So I'd love for you to talk about that because that's a big issue. Yeah. So, I mean, to your point, there are so many different things that can affect a woman's libido. I mean, I I have so many thoughts that I want to comment on and everything that you just said, but we'll start it will start. Yeah, break it down. yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start here. The first thing that I ask you with any any woman that I'm working with is to make sure that we're ruling anything out medical because yeah. there are a ton of medical factors that could be influencing a change in libido. Right, there are yeah. a bunch of different things that can hinder the responsiveness or the desire. You can have neurological conditions like Parkinson's or MS, cardiovascular issues, including high blood pressure. You can have endocrine disorders like diabetes or thyroid conditions, pelvic surgeries, the birth of a child, going through menopause, any kind of operation on your reproductive system. All of these things can absolutely change the way that your body is interacting with your partner or what desire is and arousal and all of that. So the first thing is so important is to make sure that we can rule all of these things out to make sure that it is, is, you know, that there is no actual physical symptoms occurring. But I will say this because I get so many young women in their 20s and 30s and I I really have to look at birth control. Yeah. I look at the birth control pill. I look at if they're on an SSRI. Is it a combination of the two? I've had couples and I want to bring this up because this has created an incredible stress on people and some people are not impacted by that. But again, The things that you are expressing are important, but the common ones that I see, birth control, stress, exhaustion. Yep. I've seen athletes completely burn out where they burnt out their adrenals, their sex hormones are compromised. I mean, there's a combination of things. There's so many things. There's so many. And I want to bring that in because there's so much you can unpack here that I want to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Because this is your jam. (laughs) This is. And. So, so yeah, with birth control, you know, there's a client that I work with when she got off birth control, her whole like libido changed, right? For the better. There are people that I've worked with that getting on birth control has helped with libido. So it is absolutely important to discuss birth control. But as we were talking about stress and just stress in general, I think stress is probably, 
I make this joke with my clients. I'm like, how are you, you know, tell me what's going on in your life, what's happening around you. And there's Mm -hmm. just all this stress and all this pressure around sex. And so I make the joke, I was like, well, stress and pressure are like the biggest boner killers of all, because it's the truth. Like, you know, sex is supposed to be, I don't want to say supposed to be, but it, it feels like it can be, it can be a very connective, freeing, fun, playful activity to engage in. And so when that falls away and it feels like this is something I need to do and I have to do it this many times a week and, you know, my right. partner's not going to be happy with me, then, then you're cultivating all this stress and all of this pressure around the topic of sex. And a lot of the times I see couples talk about like, you know, it used to be so easy, you know, I don't know what happened. And I always find it super, that super interesting because I'm like, you know, when we fall in love with one another, we're falling in love with one another in a time and a place. And all the things around us are influencing that at the same time. Our job, what we, you know, if we have kids or not, like, are you living by yourself, right? All you fall in love when in a certain time and place. But as your relationship grows and things change, right, where you might get married, you might have kids, you might live together, your job might change, spending more time at work, right? So all of these things around you are changing, but yet you're expecting your sex life to stay exactly the same. I'm like, what about your life is the same now as it was then at this point you're comparing yourself to? And they're like, huh, huh, nothing. But the only constant, this is going to sound cliche, but it's the only constant in life is change. When people meet, we're in lust. You know, people are like, oh, I'm in love. It's, it's new. It's exciting. Yep. And we've got to change things up. I mean, <laughs> I think I said this to you. I like vanilla ice cream. I do. It's kind of plain, but I, but I, I like it too. Vanilla, <laughs> I love vanilla ice cream. I, my mom, it was so funny. My father loved chocolate pudding and I was always excited when we would have vanilla pudding at dinner <laughs> because I really liked it. But the point is a little variety in life. You know, you like one thing, it becomes a routine. We have to energetically create shifts. We change our desires, our fantasies. And I want to go into that. Yeah. It's okay to have fantasies about sleeping with the mailman yep. or, you know, the woman that works at your uh, fabulous clothing store. These things are normal, but I, I want to get back to, we change our desires. You know, talk about how that shifts. Yeah. So, the perfect segue, you know, so going back to just like, yes, what is our new normal? What does that look like? Right. right. You know, and to your point when we're in lust, you know, in my business, we call it NRE, new relationship energy. And that's when you have all of like the neurotransmitters firing off the oxytocin, mm-hmm. the dopamine, the serotonin, mm-hmm. it feels freaking amazing. Right. Even if that, when that dies down, the sex can still be like kind of or unconscious. And the shift that happens is when it be, now it needs to become more conscious. And it doesn't necessarily have to take the fun out of it or the freedom out of it, but it becomes something that needs a little bit more TLC because you have all these other aspects now going on in your life right. that and like anything that you want to be successful needs time and attention. And so sex, which used to be such an unconscious thought that didn't need time and attention, all of a sudden now does. And so like, that's the big mind shift that has to be made. But a huge part too, is understanding how the mind works when it comes to sex, when it comes to sex for men and when it comes to sex for women. So Master and Johnson really talk about the male brain kind of working in a very linear way when it comes to sex. And it is basically desire. They feel desire. They become aroused. They have an orgasm and they plateau. So 
desire, arousal, orgasm plateau. Very straightforward. And this is not all men, but this is most men. This is where, you know, after a long day of work, a man can come home and be like, okay, I'm ready to have sex. Right. And then the woman is like, I have just worked all day, put the kids to bed. Like, I'm just like, I'm like a little touched out right now. I'm just trying to breathe and my mind isn't there. And so the other model is Basin's model when she talks about more the female root of sexual desire, that instead of it being a linear process like men's, it's more circular, where desire isn't something that's initially there, but arousal can be created. And so what does arousal look like that then can create that desire? And so it's more about finding emotional intimacy and connection throughout the day that can lead to that arousal. Because women aren't just going to come home from work and be like, okay, I'm ready to go. I mean, some women, absolutely, yes. But I would say most women aren't, right? And so then their partner's like, okay, I'm ready to go. But there have been zero bids throughout the day for connection, zero flirtation, uh, zero non-demand physical touch throughout the day. And so this is the biggest thing I see of this total disconnect when I'm working with my couples. Like, well, you're expecting or wanting to have sex at the very end of the day when you haven't even told your wife she looked beautiful or thanked her for taking care of the kids all day. There's no, there's nothing, what is happening during the day? How are you guys creating connection? How are you communicating? How are you making time for yourselves? You know, I see a lot of couples, especially with children, that take all of that creative energy and all of that imagination that they used to put into each other and they are now putting it all into the kids. So you might not like what I have to say here, but you can't do that. You cannot put all of that into your kids. You have to save some of it for each other. And in doing so, you're actually creating a more positive environment for your children to be a part of. How do they do that? Mm -hmm. How do they do that? That's a big issue. That's a big challenge for couples with kids. It's the conscious effort. Right. And so I guess I use the analogy just because you bought the plant doesn't mean you you can stop watering it. Right. So what does watering the plant look Mm. like? And that's different for every couple. And that's when talking about, okay, well, what is intimacy? How do you define intimacy? Because everyone defines it differently. What's emotional Mm -hmm. intimacy to you? And what is physical intimacy to you? You Mm -hmm. know, a lot of women also find that any kind of physical touch that their partner has towards them, they feel as a contract to sex. So there's no enjoying just physical touch for the physical touch without it feeling like it's pressure to have sex. And so it's about breaking that tie. And sometimes I'll subscribe, no sex. We're not going to have sex for X period of time. And we're going to put so much different kind of playful touch, sensual touch, erotic touch, affectionate touch into the relationship so we can learn to just enjoy those for what they are. And so that's a way to kind of break some of the connection between touch and sex and feeling like it's a contract. And I don't even, I like to use the word intercourse because I think sex can be playful. It could be erotic. It can be affectionate. It can be sensual and it can be all different kinds of touches. And intercourse is just one form of sex and one form of touch. Right. So a lot of it comes down to each each person's definition of what is intimacy. What does that mean to me? Right, Taking the time to learn about yourself as women. I meet a lot of women who they don't even know what arousal or desire is to them because they never even really tried had the opportunity to explore themselves. And that's when yes. we talk about masturbation. And that yes. can feel really, really shameful depending on how you've been brought up. I mean, I have friends. I remember, so I uh, my one of my girlfriends just got married. And instead of having a stripper come, right? 
we, and, and it be a male stripper, I actually did a sex toy seminar for them. <laughs> and so I brought my favorite toys. I brought a vibrator, a dildo, an oil, and a butt plug, I think. And I was... I, I know. And I was taking them through or talking to each of them about why they're pleasurable, what parts of the anatomy that they stimulate and how and what's going on mentally for you. So you have a full understanding. And when I asked a lot of them, and these are girls I grew up with that are like one, some of my best friends, like, you know, what is your relationship with masturbation? And they're like, oh, like, I never do it. Like, we never like talked about it. I just feel dirty doing it. Girls don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. I think we need to. I think it's really healthy. It is. I mean, masturbation, it's literally loving yourself. I mean, when you give yourself an orgasm, your brain is flooded with oxytocin. That's the love hormone, right? You're giving love to yourself. And it's one of the best ways to understand what turns you on and what you like, whether you're listening to erotica or reading a book or experimenting with porn and figuring out what you like, fantasizing to your point, Meg, we were talking about fantasies, right? A lot of people... A lot of couples won't talk about fantasies that they have with each other because there's, again, shame around it and they're afraid their partner's going to judge one another for it. And they think that if, you know, they're wrong, is that cheating? And that a fantasy is just that. It's a fantasy. You're not actively acting on it, right? And you're doing it in the safety of your home with your partner. And that's what makes it so freeing and so safe. It's okay to fantasize. It's okay to role play. It's okay to have kings. But there is so much shame around it that no one really talks about it or feels comfortable talking about it. Well, you know, I want to get back on the talk a little about masturbation because I think this is really funny. A friend of mine, Maggie, in from New York City, she was a chef, and I just love Maggie. And Maggie's like, "Yeah, I think I'm going to have a date with Han tonight. We're setting <laughs> yeah. the room up. I love that's being a little too fresh. <laughs> I don't know. And she go through this whole thing with Han. I love that. And I just thought it was hysterical. And I think, you know, if I can just get back, yeah. I feel masturbation is so important for women to really get a sense and and get in touch with who they are and what is, as you said, pleasurable. So they can also share that with their client, with their client, um, with (laughs) their partners, their partners. Which makes me like a client. No, they're not getting paid. (laughs) But I really feel that, you know, I think, and I don't know the conversations with men, but I don't think we as women, and I'm going back to this, I don't think we talk enough about sex with our with our girlfriends and and talk about how we're feeling. And I think that's that's also important, which makes it more freeing to talk about it with your partner. Absolutely. And it, it, it amazes me. I and mean, part of the reason I wanted to get certified as a sexologist to specialize in sex mm-hmm. therapy is because mm-hmm. there is so much shame around it. And I want to normalize that conversation as much as possible because sex is a huge part of our society and our relationships. It's not the end all be all. You know, there are plenty of people in relationships who are happy having sex you know, once a month and, that, and they're so in love and they're so happy there. Again, this is, there is no normal. It's what is normal for you. Right. And mm-hmm. so, but sex is an important part of connection in a relationship. It's what the, the sexual intimacy is kind of can, what bridge a relationship from a friendship to a romantic relationship. Right. And so there, and, and if you think about it, I mean, we're, are in life, all we want to do is try to is make connections, is, is be, is have relationships. And we look for our partner, we're in search for our partner and sex has to, you know, do with that and, and having children. And it's just, it's all, 
our society is filled with it, yet we're like so afraid to talk about it. And it's so interesting. And that's part of the reason I wanted to do this because I'm like, I'm super comfortable. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about sex all day. Like, you know, I want to, I want people to feel comfortable. And part of the reason, part of coming to couples counseling and working on sex therapy is getting comfortable talking about sex. Because if you're not comfortable talking about it, even to yourself, how are you going to talk about it with your partner? Right. And this goes back to communication and understanding how to communicate with your partner, what it is that you need from your partner. But you know, bringing it back to masturbation, I can't even begin to tell you, like, it's probably one of my very first questions when I'm working with um, a woman and trying to get some of like understanding her sexual history. I'm like, what is your relationship with your body? What is your relationship with masturbation? You know, because it makes a lot of sense to me if somebody feels lost, and they don't know what it is they like, or they don't know their body, or they don't trust their body if they've never actually given themselves to explore their body. Do you feel that there are a lot of women out there that have never experienced an orgasm? Yes. Then there are a lot of different factors for that. There can be pain for during intercourse, yeah. which can take away from that. There is, again, the narrative. I was working with a client about like this narrative around men's pleasure and like her job is to please the man and her pleasure is secondary, right? And so having to wow. reframe that, yeah, having to... Re- and, and can I ask what age range your client was that was having that? It was she, between 12, I'll give the between 20 and 40. So I don't give... Okay, yeah, no, 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 no. I, I would say, I yes. I, I, I honor that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would say, yes, we'll say 25 to 40 within that age range okay. and mm-hmm. having to unpack that narrative. Like, well, 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 where did that come from? Like what experiences yeah. have you had that led to that? And how can we reframe that? Or how can we put things into practice to help reframe that? Right. And so when, when we're talking about orgasm, a lot of it too is is mental. A big theme I see also is this anxiety that comes and this pressure again around orgasm. So it it takes you out of your body and out of the present moment, right? I, I talk a lot about being present during intercourse. And I think that's a really difficult thing for a lot of women to do because they're thinking, oh, like, is my partner tired down there? Or like, I'm not going to have an orgasm. So like, I don't really know, like, I don't want them to stay, you know, if, if they're going, if they're, um, giving oral sex, for instance, and their partner is going down on them, and in their minds, they're like, "Oh, I don't, I don't know how long they want to be there for. I don't think I'm going to have an mm. orgasm." And and then this anxiety of I have to have an orgasm, and so it completely takes you out of the moment because you're all up here and you're not. And I'm pointing to my head for those who can't see me. <laughs> you're all up here yeah. and not in here in your body, right? And mm-hmm. so something I've been working on with a lot of my clients is is talking about focusing on the process and taking away the end goal of orgasm or having the focus be the focus or reflection of good sex be orgasm and how can you create more present moments throughout the day through different forms of touch that then help you during actual intercourse what things can you do that help you feel in your body and put that more into practice and that's why i also really try to prescribe masturbation as something for these women to do because you at that point in time it's just you and your hand or you and your toy and so right. it's like a lot of women actually can reach orgasm alone versus with their partner which is really interesting right. and so again it goes back to that pressure and that stress and that anxiety huge huge boner killers. It's not fun. I talk a lot about sensual touch, playful touch, affectionate touch, and erotic touch because we don't have enough of those in 
the relationship and it goes from like zero to 100. And again, these women are like modern moms need a full-time staff. Like, and it's a lot about kind of going back to what you were saying in the beginning of when you're doing your introduction about like self-care, right? That, that is a huge part of this as well. Like how to, like, there's so many different moving parts, right? One is how to manage stress, how to manage stress overall as a woman, especially those moms out there. Because I give you all the credit in the world, you ladies, because being a modern mom today is not easy. And so how do you go about managing stress? How do you go about implementing? Yeah. And how do you carve out, how do you carve out that time for yourself? Yep. And sometimes you need your partner for that. I literally was just having this conversation with a client this weekend. He was just like, you know, she was saying like, you know, I just, I'm going from this and this and this, and I just don't have a time to breathe. And then I just like, I need to decompress and I don't have it. And, you know, her, she's a, a, a wonderful partner. They're, they're a wonderful couple. And he's like, I can, you know, let me help you. I can take some of these things off your shoulders so you can implement more of that. Because at the end of the day, if we're not able to take care of ourselves as women. I use the the cup analogy. If we are yeah. not pouring into our own cups, how are we supposed to pour out into everyone else's cup? Well, yeah. And also if we're unable to give, it makes it difficult to receive. Mm-hmm. So if when a woman, when a woman is feeling depleted, it, it's really hard. It's, it's, I mean, so many women say to me, I love my husband, but all I want to do is sleep. I'm exhausted. Exactly. And, and, and I think part of that, and I've said to women, you two go to bed earlier or figure out a different schedule where you both feel, I had couples that made time in the morning because they were too exhausted yep. at night. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It's finding this new normal and, and it's really a shift in yeah. the way that you think because they say relationships are work. They are, right? It's, it's, if we're continuously comparing ourselves to the very beginnings of our relationship, we're going to continuously feel disappointed, right? Because like, there is nothing like the beginning of a relationship, but as your relationship grows, so does the responsibilities around you. And it's figuring out and making that conscious effort and bringing you know, the, instead of putting the relationship on the back burner, bringing it back to the front, right? Like it, it feels, it's such a, relationships are so beautiful, right? Because they, you feel safe in them. That's part of the reason you feel comfortable and you feel safe. That's part of the reason we have them is it's, it's this area of safety and this area of comfort, yeah. right? Yeah. But if we take that for granted too much, that's when things can fall apart. Because if we're constantly putting the relationship on the back burner because it's comfortable, because it's safe, because we're married and we're prioritizing all these other things like work, um, like the, like the kids, then guess what? Their relationship is going to fall apart, right? I mean, if you think about anything in life that you want to be successful at, what do you have to do? You have to make conscious efforts to put forth. So give some examples of what people could do today. So today you can incorporate date nights back. And I mean, like, it's it's like a simple, simple thing that it's just that's, that's what I say to clients. What I have to say and what I do is not rocket science, but it's hard work, right? So I have my clients alternate every other week who's planning a date night and making sure that you can carve out the time to do that. And that way it feels special and it feels like your partner's thinking of you because you're alternating who's planning it. So the stress and pressure to plan something isn't always on one person, but you're sharing that responsibility. You're having mm-hmm. your partner 
again, use their imagination and creative thinking to plan something that you both will enjoy doing. And then it's that quality time one-on-one with each other to, to have that emotional connection, right? And that's not easy to do once a week. Childcare is super expensive. So if you do have kids, it's, can you do once a month, a little getaway and you can plan for that, right? You can look ahead for how much it's going to cost and save for that. You can talk to different kinds of, you know, if you have um, parents, grandparents in the area to talk to them or hire a babysitter. So you have enough time to plan, right? I always say to couples at the end of the day, sitting on the couch together, watching a TV, that's not intimacy. That's not emotional connection. That's decompression. And that's important, but that's not connection. And so you're running around all day and you're like, oh, I'm like, how do you spend some quality time together? Oh, we watch TV. That's not intimacy. So it can be intimacy. I want you to take all your clothes off. And this is a term that my partner coined NCT, naked couch time, that get naked and lay on the couch together, body to body and just feel each other. That's intimate. And you can have the TV. Or if you have kids, do that in the bedroom. Or the kid, the kid should be asleep by yeah. that point. If you have young kids, yeah. Know, they're always wandering. <laughs> but that's true. Or like I have different um, tools that I send to my clients of connection questions that they could do or different activities that they can do at the end of the day. Instead of sitting in front of the TV, pull these books out, pull these activities out that I am prescribing. There's a great book on Amazon called The Year of Us. And you can buy that. And it's really a great interactive book that talks past, present, future about you and your partner, ask some really interesting questions and has some cool activities. So that's a point of connection. You guys are connecting with each other. And what I would love, Sarah, if uh, I'm going to put some book recommendations that you Mm -hmm. have in the show notes so that people can see them. Absolutely. um, And look at, yeah, you know, come as you are and things. There are some wonderful books that you may want to really, yes, we love that book. We love this book. I have that book I'm looking at on my shelf and all right, let's, let's talk about that book a bit. That book is amazing. That book has changed couples lives. Yes. It's awesome. So Emily Nagowski, I might be messing. Nagasaki? Nagasaki? Nagasaki. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry, Emily, <laughs> for butchering your last name. But this is one of the best books I recommend for my couples to read, both couples, man and woman, because it really talks about like debunking the am I normal myth, right? That everything is normal. Mm-hmm. Women with low libidos are normal, with high libidos are normal, with midline are normal. She talks about how we all have we're all born with, she calls them accelerators and breakers, which some people have really high accelerators and low breakers, which when we're talking about sexual arousal and desire, that means they have a really high sex drive. For somebody who has low high breakers and low accelerators, that's somebody who may have a low sex drive. And these accelerators and breakers, they are, we're born, we're, we're pretty much born with them, but then as we experience life, some things are added to them as well but they're all normal. And one of the biggest takeaways in this book is when she talks about context. Context is so important when you think about intimacy. And again, this is where, you know, the husband feels disappointed or the partner feels disappointed at the end of the day when he wants to engage in intercourse and his partner doesn't. But if you're looking at the context of the situation, well, she just worked all day. She just put the kids to bed. She also cooked dinner. And now this is the first time that she's had to herself all day. She's exhausted. The context of that situation doesn't lend itself to intercourse, right? But taking her out on a date, buying her a little gift, giving her compliments, flirting with her, sending maybe some selfies, sexy selfies in the middle of the day, 
all of that helps build context that is going to lead to more intimacy. Mm. You know, so it's, it's understanding, like thinking about what is the best sex I've ever had? What was the context? How did I feel about my body? What was the situation mm. I was in? What was mm-hmm. the mindset that I was in? Well, who was the partner that I was with, right? Looking at all these different aspects and figuring out, okay, that that felt really good. Then what's the worst sex I've ever had? And looking at all the different areas and understanding, oh, okay, all those things contributed to bad intercourse. All of these things contributed to good intercourse. And so then you kind of pull that context and how can I recreate that in my daily life? Or how can I create that enough to have more physical intimacy with my partner? I love that. I've, I've simply said to, to couples, go for a walk together at mm-hmm. night, bundle up. Like your husband walks a dog, go with them after yep. dinner. It's good for digestion yep. anyway. <laughs> but it's a great way to decompress, always being outside and moving. Even if it's 20 minutes, it just gets that decompression together just to reconnect is really important. I also have a lot of my couples do check-ins with each other like on Wednesdays and Sundays and I send them a list of questions. So these aren't just I like a that. what are we doing this week? It's like mm-hmm. what have I done this week that felt really good that you want to see more of? What's taking oh, up what's that. taking up most of your headspace this week? Is there something that I did that upset you and you want to talk about, right? So it's creating opportunities for communication and and intimacy. That's emotional connection right there. That's emotional intimacy. I call them uh, John Gottman calls them bids, making bids towards each other's internal world. And so when we talk about communication, if you're consistently just communicating about what needs to be done or what isn't being done, you're concentrating a lot on the business side of the relationship. And I use this analogy with my clients a lot. You have the business side of the relationship and the romantic side of the relationship when you live together, when you're married, when you have kids, right? And so often we see the business side take kind of eclipse the romantic side of the relationship. And, you know, when you have your check-ins, you're talking about finances, you're talking about planning, you're talking about who's picking up who, but where is the bid to learn about what's going on in each other's internal worlds? What's happening for that person? And how can you guys share those experiences together? All of those things create emotional intimacy, which I can promise you lend itself to Basin's model of female sexual desire and responsiveness, that that's going to make her feel connected. That's going to make her, make her feel heard and seen. And you guys are going to feel more emotionally connected that it's in itself will lead to more physical intimacy. I mean, it means a lot, even when you call a friend and then they say, how are you? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And that just sets up the conversation for a deeper connection. I, that's, that's, it's simple, it's subtle, but it's really powerful to connect and just check in with your partner. Like, how are you doing? What's going exactly. on? Exactly. And like I said, the tools that I offer and I give to my clients, it's not rocket science, but it's hard because it's time is finite. We don't, we can't make more of it. Right. And so how can we figure out a way to incorporate some of these things and, you know, we can't prioritize everything because then nothing is prioritized. If you want your relationship to succeed and to grow, you have to invest in it. You have to water that plant and you have to find the time to do it. I think it's really interesting. We will spend money on going to the gym and doing all these activities, but we're never taught like, how do you have an intimate relationship? Mm-hmm. What is communication? There should be courses. in that. There really- no, really, there should be workshops. It should be mandatory that we have this. Yeah. And it is hard. You go into a relationship, you meet someone, and I've had quite a few in my life, and not not now available. But 
And what a catch. And what a catch. (laughs) What a catch. What a catch. Done a lot of work on myself. So, and, and that's also important too, I think, that in relationship that both people are working on themselves yes. as well as the relationship. Because, it, you know, it's Lorraine Nightheart, she was a great counselor years ago, said to me, your baggage has to get along with their baggage. Yes. And you've got to be able to communicate about that. And also know that if you're going into relationship, that if intimacy is an issue, it's going to be an issue and to work with that. But yeah, I think the challenge is we go into relationship, you can elaborate on this, and we bring the challenges that we've had growing up into the relationship, and they get played out. Yeah. And if you want to talk more about that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So that, that brings us to kind of like attachment theory, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and attachment theory essentially talks about how our relationship with our parents and the way that we were raised and the way we interacted with our parents or more so the way our parents interacted with us has formed certain attachments in which we kind of replicate or come up in adult relationships. Now, attachment theory is super interesting and I think it can be really helpful and educational to understand it, but I don't believe it's the end all be all of adult relationships. It's just one part of it. But so essentially you can have the main three attachments are secure attachment, avoidant, and anxious. Secure attachment Mm. really speaks to you grew up in a healthy household with healthy parents who didn't parentify you, that showed up when you needed them. Like you cried, they were there. You essentially felt safe to explore the world around you and to go meet strangers or go out to explore knowing you had a safe space to come back to, that your parents always were there and they'd show up for you. Anxious attachment really speaks to kind of like it manifests as as an adult, as as sometimes being a people pleaser, as feeling as the feeling of anxiety consistent with like having to solve things immediately that you can't kind of sit in any discomfort that you have to alleviate the anxiety right away. And that comes from parents who essentially like put their emotional needs on you and didn't really allow you to explore your emotional needs that like the parent were upset and they were, you know, they're like, Oh, and the child was like, I'm sorry, mommy. Like, what did I do? Like, you know, and mom's like, you know, I'm, I'm just feeling really sad. And, and, and then the, the child ends up taking care of the parent. Mm-hmm. And then with avoidant attachment is where you had parents that just kind of shut down their child's emotional needs or well-being and didn't really allow them to express themselves. That's usually a really volatile household uh, where there's like kind of a lot of yelling and yeah. and again, like you're not allowed to necessarily feel. And so that manifests as an adult where you get flooded really fast with emotions and you don't know how to communicate them and you just like shut down and you run away essentially uh, Gottman calls it like stonewalling. So you just like are completely flooded and you shut down and you can't receive. So unfortunately what happens a lot of times is that a avoided person and an anxious person will find each other. And it's like a very, <laughs> could be a very toxic relationship because essentially you have the avoidant person who's like the retreater and then the anxious person who is the pursuer. And so when there ever is conflict, it's just like they're constantly chasing one another and like they're never meeting in the middle. And there's usually a lot of criticism. There's a lot of defensiveness. There's a lot of contempt um, within those relationships. And so the physical intimacy can also feel actually sometimes like really passionate, but like the relationship is very tumultuous itself. Mm. And so 
when we talk about baggage, it's understanding that about ourselves. And you can work towards a secure attachment. Being an adult and having one of these attachments doesn't mean you can't get to a secure one, but you have to do the work right. on yourself. You got to do, do the work. It's always doing the work. And you have, it's yeah. And part of it is being able to understand your triggers or the first step of all of it is self-awareness. How can I be self-aware to my triggers? And can I communicate that to my partner? And also realize it's not my partner's job to manage my triggers. It's my job to manage my triggers, but my partner can be sensitive to them and can be aware of them. And so again, that goes back to communication in relationships. And if you have a person who is anxious and avoidant and they're in a relationship, it's going to be a lot more work because you have to really inherently change your very reactive patterns of communication, right? And so, you know, I have clients that I work with that I'm like, you guys can reverse this. This can be fixed. It just is going to take a lot of work, right? And are you willing to are do Are you that? willing to do it? And that's the question it comes down to. Are you well, willing to do it? Here's the question. Yeah. And if you don't do the work, it's going to show up in the next relationship. Yep. It doesn't go mm-hmm. away. It keeps, that pattern keeps showing up in some shape or form. Yep. And you have to be able to, to, I call it like a negative feedback loop. Can you identify mm-hmm. the patterns? Like what is the original trigger? And then how, what does that lead to? Then what's the narrative that gets triggered on that? And yeah. what is the, yeah. you know, the, a lot of it is, is vulnerability is like, def, like is pushing away that vulnerability and trying to mm-hmm. like kind of attack or react in a way to protect ourselves from some of these trauma wounds essentially from our childhood. And so it is so important to do that work to identify what are those wounds? How can I offer compassion to them? How can I work towards acceptance with them? How can I create self-awareness around them? And how can I make change? And it's all hard work, but it's worthwhile. And also what I'm hearing too is being able to be authentically vulnerable and feel safe in the relationship and being vulnerable. And I think if you can do that, that opens a lot of doors. I work a lot with clients. When we talk about communication, the first two things I try to implement are a safe relationship space and Imago dialogue. And so what a safe relationship space is, it's it's asking that very question to each part of the couple. What makes you feel safe and what makes you feel vulnerable? And how can Mm. we cultivate an environment that brings out those characteristics or create an environment around those things that you need? How do you manage conflict if things start getting escalated? What does a time out look like? And essentially creating a space that has boundaries and rules created around it to abide by so you can have productive conversation. I love that. So it's not so reactive, but it's proactive. So if and when someone's getting escalated in conflict conversation, you already have things in place to help de-escalate, right? And a huge part of it, I think, in keeping things on a level speaking ground is using this Imago dialogue, which talks about mirroring. And it's really about cultivating empathy and understanding and validation for the other partner's experience. And not judging. And not judging. And it's not, it's not about being right or wrong. And it's not about agreeing or disagreeing. It's about having understanding and empathy for your partner. Because a lot of the times, you know, I see it a lot with men. Men are very solutioned oriented and focused. And a lot of the times women just want to feel validated and they want to feel heard. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And so this space kind of creates yeah. an opportunity for first, for both people, the validation and 
empathy. And it's a really great place to cultivate active listening. And that is different. Mm-hmm. Active listening is where we're actually listening to what the person is saying instead of listening mm-hmm. to answer or listening to react or listening and then assigning right. our own narratives, assumptions, and negative experiences to the words and hearing something completely different than was actually being relayed. I love that you do this because you have such breakthroughs with your I clients do. with this. You really do. Yeah. She's so good. She really is great. <laughs> Thank you. She's really good. But this is, I feel that so many of us need some coaching in our relationships. And it doesn't mean that the relationship is over. No. It just means that we can broaden and expand the relationship to have, because I've done couple counseling, the love gets deeper. Yeah. The intimacy gets a lot deeper. Yep, exactly. Because you're able to open, communicate, and be vulnerable in a place where you want to be vulnerable because you feel so safe that you can just be yourself. You know, I work with clients. And that's hot, by the way. That it is. That's very sexy. Vulnerability is super sexy. Like super, super, sexy. super sexy. There's like to, to be so open with your partner. And like this goes back to talking like the shame around sex, masturbation and fantasies even. Like yeah. if you can be vulnerable with your partner, it does deepen your connection. It it shows that they're a safe space and that they trust you and that there there isn't the judgment. And, you know, it's it's a really freeing and connecting piece of a relationship. Um, and again, going back to just like talking about fantasies or masturbation, that's a really vulnerable thing to do as well. And being able to, you know, even making it fun, right? Like maybe you and your partner pick out different like porn scenarios for each other to watch and you guys, you do that first and then have a discussion about it of why, why did I pick that for you and why you picked that for me. And maybe then that leads into different conversations of things that you want to explore or different kinks that you've fantasized about, right? And it's really cultivating a safe, vulnerable space. And communication absolutely goes into this. Um, When I talk about the safe relationship space and the Imago Dialogue, I really use that with high conflict couples who have a really hard time hearing each other. Mm. And it's not something that I think needs to be used forever, but it's something that if you keep practicing, those skills become second nature. And so then you just have them for the rest of your life that you can use them with one another. Can you and repeat them simply again, what people do? Cause- oh, for the, for the Imago dialogue. Okay, mm-hmm. so, the, so for Imago dialogue, it's making eye contact. The first step is making eye contact with each other. And you have one person who is the messenger and one person who's the receiver, and then you guys will switch roles. I did not know mm-hmm. this. I, I thought, oh, I'm glad I brought it up because I thought you were referring to something else. Okay. They can learn this in counseling. It, can they read about yeah. this too? Or I'll attach a link with okay. like, um, it's a research paper that kind of outlines what Imago Dialogue is and gives you a step-by-step how to engage in it. But if you think about it, it's a mirroring exercise. So the goal of it is for you to mirror what your partner is saying so you know that you're hearing it correctly and then offering understanding, empathy, and validation to them. And so they feel like you actually heard them and that feels really good. And then the conversation can move to clarifying questions. It can move to how can we make sure this doesn't happen again or what can I do differently next time? It can lead to Mm -hmm. accountability. You're right. I'm sorry. Or not even saying I'm right, but you know, I can take accountability for that. Like my behavior wasn't right or it wasn't kind and I want to do better at that and I'm sorry. Right. Right. And then 
moving again towards that solution of like, okay, well, next time, what are some things that we can do to make sure or would be helpful to, to make sure that we don't run into this situation again? But I will attach a link. Yeah. I mean, what I'm hearing today is masturbation is our friend. You know, whether you're in or out of a relationship, crucial. Yes. Having a date with hand is a, is a good thing. <laughs> it's okay if your partner is at home. You can do that. It's legal. It's legal. It's, it's legal and it feels <laughs> good, ladies. And it's okay. And your husband or your girlfriend may get really turned on exactly. by it. Exactly. I mean, mutual, no, mutual masturbation is super sexy. There's a lot. So I love this conversation. It's a great way to start the new year because I feel that 2024 is that how do we deepen communication? How do we release baggage? And how do we live more with an open heart that allows us to take a deeper dive into exploration of intimacy with our partner? It's, it's, I, had a, I have a client, she, she's fine with this, that she's in her 50s and she came to me and she actually had a hysterectomy. And I was like, well, how's your libido? She said, Meg, I've been married to that man for over 30 years. He walks in that door and there's just something about him. I have to have him. And she was like, I'm so glad the kids are out of the house. She said, we have sex all the time. And I'm like, I do not know what the magic is, but that is absolutely amazing. That is amazing. And they just, yeah, they just have, but I love that. She said that man walks, he just does something to me when he just walks through the door. And um, obviously there's a, a deep connection that they absolutely. have. They do. They do. And they work on it. So they work on it. You always have to work on a relationship. But yeah, this is an opportunity. Everybody's got goals. I'm like, nah, I think the big thing is let's cultivate communication. Let's cultivate communication, better communication with our partners, deepen that sexual energy, that desire, being more playful, more fun. And this also deepens our relationships with those around us. Absolutely. And it just makes us happier campers. It does. Well, all of it is self-exploration, right? And so it's it's all self-exploration. Yeah. It's learning where, you know, as women, like there are so many narratives that are forced upon us from society in general, yeah. plus understanding how are we raised? Are there, is there religious influence on us as well? Yeah. Have we had sexual yeah. trauma? That also influences us, right? And so it's about understanding these different narratives that are cultivating and coloring our experiences today. Yeah. Can we move Absolutely. towards acceptance? Can we move towards understanding? Can we move towards compassion? Can we find a new yeah. normal? Can we feel that their normal is what we want it to be, right? I like Can we yeah. take the time to get to know ourselves at a more personal level? And then all of that self-work is going to, to flow in all the relationships you have in your life. Absolutely. Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you for just sharing today. And you're such a good therapist. <laughs> thank you. And, and letting people know that, you know, you're okay. Everybody's okay. Everybody is okay. Truly. I mean, there are things that happen in life that there, there are things that happen in life that are going to bring you to a point of, of, of questioning, right? And being able to question it is such a, to question it, right, in general is such a gift because when you start questioning it, that's where you're going to move towards growth and, yeah. and change. And like you said, like if there's anything guaranteed in life, it is change. And every woman is normal. There is no, I should be having sex as many times. I, I, sh I want, I should be wanting to have sex as many times. It's let's understand what's kind of going on first before we 
are beating down on what we should and shouldn't be doing because there's so many different right. factors at play, you know, besides just the the physical, the physically medical things that we were talking about, like medicines yeah. or different um uh, medical conditions going on when we have to take a look at our own mental well-being and what's going on in the brain right stress pressure life changes transitions they're all things that influence how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about sexual relationships mm-hmm. and so can we slow things down can we question things can we work on self-awareness can we implement new tools can we prioritize and that is one of the biggest challenges in relationships that I see is that conscious effort and the and prioritizing one another and how that has like how that shifts and that how that falls off. And so bringing that back up and learning how to manage that and then making it fun, making it playful, right? Like finding that connection with your partner again. Yeah. Yeah. Rekindling the romance. Yes, exactly. While you came together. Exactly. My love, thank you so much for being here today. I will include Sierra Coleman's contact information some books and references that she has recommended. And again, if anyone would also like to work with me, you can contact me, megrichichi.com. All my contact information is there. I want to wish everyone a very, very happy new beginning to 2024. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm glad that you were able to hang out with me on the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. Take good care. See you soon. A lot of love.